Welcome to freedom, becoming fully alive. Do you ever struggle with discouragement? Do you ever feel down? Do you ever feel in despair? Do you ever feel a sense of dread or even hopelessness? I'm so glad that you're here today. I've got good news for you. You can be free from the arrow of depression. Let's pray and commit our time to the Lord. Lord, we do thank you so much for your remedy, Lord, your very life. You are the answer, Lord. You are the remedy. You are the antidote for every arrow that we have been talking about in these past weeks. And now today, the arrow of depression. Shine your light on this time, Lord. Give us revelation. Flood our hearts with hope. Take away all hopelessness and take this arrow of depression out of us today, I pray. Set us free, Lord to be all that you have created us to be. Release your glory in and through our lives, Lord. Cause us to come alive, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're so glad you're here. This is session seven in a three-part series, 21 sessions total. And we'll be talking more about what lies ahead a little later on this morning. But this session is entitled Free from the Arrow of Depression. It's a part of part two, getting your whole heart back. And we've had seven sessions under that heading as we've talked about being free from various arrows, the arrow of pride, the arrow of shame, the arrow of fear, the arrow of rejection, the arrow of anger, the arrow of depression today. The Lord wants us free. And the beauty and the benefit of being free from these arrows is that as the Lord gets the arrows out, we come alive. And that's what he wants. Today's arrow is the arrow of depression. And depression is an issue of hope. Our theme verse this morning is taken from Psalm 42.5, and it's on the cover of your outline this morning. Psalm 42.5, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. It's when we don't put our hope in God that we can so easily get into depression and other things, for that matter, as we'll be discussing today. But let's take a look at some things that maybe you've been experiencing in the last 30 days or more. And I want you to feel free to just circle these on your outline as we go through these. Do you ever feel blue? You've heard people say, I just feel blue today. I've got the blues. Have you ever heard someone say, and maybe you are that one, you feel heavy hearted. And sometimes we don't, we don't even know what that's about. We, I, we just feel a sense of heaviness. How about downcast? or despondent or discouraged? How about a sense of dread? I can remember a period in my life, I could identify with all of these really at different times, but I remember a period of time in my life where every morning when I woke up, I had a low-grade fever, is the way I would describe it, of dread. I didn't know why initially, but when I got up, I felt a sense of dread. Well, in that particular case, and this isn't always the remedy, but in that particular case, as I prayed about it, I really sensed that the Lord 
It was leading me to pray and take authority over a spirit of heaviness, a spirit of dread that was robbing from me at the beginning of every day because it didn't last throughout the day. It was just at the beginning, right there at the very beginning when I got out of bed. In between the bed and the shower and a little bit beyond, I felt a sense of dread. I took authority over it in Jesus' name, and that was the end of it. It was gone. I'm not trying to make that a quick fix. I'm not trying to make that the remedy for everything that's on the radar screen of your consciousness, but that was the remedy for what I was experiencing at that time. Maybe dread, or excuse me, maybe despair is what you have been sensing, or even hopelessness. These are somewhat progressive from feeling blue to feeling hopeless. When we get to the place of hopelessness, we are really on dangerous ground, if I can say it that way. For those that have committed suicide, if they were able to come back and testify to us today, I would venture to say that they didn't plot and plan and intend to ever commit suicide. It was something that happened by inches. There was an increasing dread or despondency or despair, which eventually became having a sense of hopelessness. Because here's how it works. To the hopeless person, to the hopeless person, the person that feels hopeless, consequences don't matter. And that's a dangerous place to be, isn't it? To feel hopeless in such a way that the consequences don't matter. And maybe initially you start feeling, well, you know, I don't care whether I live or die. I don't really care what happens. I'm going on a trip, and if I die in the plane crash, so be it. If I die in a car accident, so be it. If I live or I die, it doesn't matter because what is my life worth anyway? There's a sense of hopelessness, which is a dangerous place to be. It's so dangerous because the enemy loves to lie to us there. He loves to, he loves to tell us lies even that if you kill yourself, the pain will go away. If, if you kill yourself, you won't be such a burden anymore to all the people around you because you've really been a burden lately and they'll be so much better off when you're gone. That's from the pit of hell. I can't imagine a person not, I can't imagine the enemy of our soul not being involved in terms of lying to someone and deceiving them. Um, in order for them to commit suicide. I can't imagine someone committing suicide without the liar being involved, without the adversary being involved, without the thief being involved, because he is a thief, he's a liar, he's come to kill, devour, and destroy. And if he can't take your life physically, if he can't get you to take your life physically, then he'll want to get you in a state of mind and heart of hopelessness, where you're just, your life is on the shelf and you're really not much good to anybody. He wants to put us on the bench, so to speak, put us on the shelf so that the glory of God is not shining through us because we were made for the glory of God. And when you get an arrow of pride or shame, rejection or fear or anger or depression in you, it diminishes the glory of God, what God is like 
shining forth. And Satan hates the glory of God. He wants to destroy anything or anyone that reflects God's glory. What are some of the causes or contributors to depression? I want to talk about two factors that I think apply. One would be the physical factor. Let's take a look at that. I think in some cases, when we're feeling some of the things that I've described, in some cases, the best thing that we could do as a next step is to get a complete physical from our doctor. In fact, I pray that uh, regularly, if not yearly, each of you, each of us, is getting a complete physical. Because I really believe that that is an important part of wholeness. Let's take a look at some factors under that heading. Insufficient sleep or rest. If we are not getting enough sleep, and we all require different amounts of sleep. Some people require eight to nine hours every night, and if they don't consistently get eight to nine hours of sleep a night, it doesn't take long and they get run down and they get sick again and again and again. It might be the common cold, it might be something else, it may not be anything really, really serious, but they tend to get run down and, and they get sick if they don't get their sleep, if they don't get enough rest. And, and obviously it's not just time in bed, it's, it's quality of sleep and rest. Because you can spend eight hours in bed and wake up not rested. So it's a quality of sleep and rest. Sickness and disease can also take its toll. I can remember back in the late 70s when Mindy, my wonderful wife, had Crohn's disease, an intestinal disease, which by the way the doctor said at that time was incurable. Well, she hasn't taken medication since 1980 or so. The Lord has touched her, so call it remission, call it healing. She is free and she's gone back a number of times since then and is free of that, free from that. But at that time, when she was in the midst of that, and her body was being assaulted by Crohn's disease, she, was, she had lost a lot of weight, her, 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 whole, her whole being was being attacked and assaulted by, these disease. I just, by this disease. I just saw her going down, 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 both in weight, both in strength, and just the condition of her soul. And in that condition, she began to have thoughts of not wanting to live. She began to have thoughts like she was a burden to me and that I'd be better off without her. And she even had thoughts of uh, ending her life. She was slipping more and more into depression. Well, in that particular case, if I can just shift over to the remedy, that was instrumental, instrumental in bringing us to, to Trinity Church at that time. We lived in Fremont at that time. I was in the real estate business. I used to be a real estate broker. Now I'm a relationship broker. But as we were seeking the Lord and hungering for more, because the church we were a part of in Trinity, nice people, but not a whole lot of life, and we really weren't growing, and our kids really weren't being taught the Bible in that church. They were being taught that some of the Bible was... Uh, uh, mythology, and uh, we were teaching them the truth at home, but we wanted to find a fellowship. <clears throat> we wanted to find a church where we could grow, where we could thrive, 
and where our children could as well. Well, we started visiting Trinity and uh, the Sunday night services when they were meeting at Ron Colley over by Emmanuel Hospital back in this, uh, 1977, the summer of 1977. But that was during a time where Mindy was really being afflicted with this. Well, one thing led to another, and she started experiencing the things that I just described. And we sought out the counsel and prayer and ministry of Pastor Murdoch, Del Dale, and Elman Larson at that time. Those men <clears throat> loved the Lord. They were gifted in healing and had, they knew their authority in Christ. So as we began to seek times of prayer for Mindy, she was not only healed over a period of time, but set free from that depression, from that heaviness, from those suicidal thoughts, and the Lord revived her, the Lord restored her, the Lord healed her. But it was interesting how the Lord used that need to bring us here to be a part of this fellowship. And many of you could probably testify in a similar way that at a point in your life, in a time of need, you came to fresh starts, you came to freedom, you started coming to the services, you, you, come, you came to some aspect of ministry that, that Trinity Church is all about. And it's not all about Trinity, it's all about Jesus, but the Lord uses felt need to bring us to him. I'm so glad, because he is the source, he is the answer. So thank the Lord for his provision. But the physical factor that she was going through at that time was very, very much a part of the depression that she was feeling. There could be hormo hormonal or chemical deficiency or imbalance as well. And it's interesting how it works. If you're trying to control life, if you've got issues of shame, you don't know who you are, you think you're the sum total of your life's experience or some part thereof, you're living with a lot of faults, guilt, uh, heaviness, rejection, a uh, lot of issues going on in life. Life is hard and you're trying to control it. You're trying to control the outcome. What is going on in your soul, if I can say it that way, because of your focus, because of who you're believing, not the Lord, it can take its toll on your body. And then once things get depleted in your body, because of your focus, it snowballs. And your body at that point isn't helping you because it's so run down. It's being so depleted of its vitality that it starts affecting your thinking and your focus and your ability to receive and retain and believe the truth. And the enemy just uses that. Even if he is not the cause, capital C of that, he wants to use it against us. Even if he isn't the originator of the, of the problem per se, he wants to exploit it for our own destruction. And then there could be the ingestion of certain food or drink products. And that could be any number of things, but as you take a look at what you're eating, you take a look at your diet, the sleep, the rest factor that I just mentioned, this is just you know, basic stuff, you know? But so often we, we, we don't do the basics. And, and it catches up with us. There was a time in my life where I was drinking an inordinate amount of diet pop, diet Coke or Pepsi or whatever. And um, maybe some of you drink that. I'm not trying to get you to stop today. I, I drink a lot, whether it's water, iced tea, or whatever. When I drank alcoholic beverages, I drank a lot of beer. I drank a lot of alcoholic beverages. I mean, I'm, I must be a thirsty guy or something. <laughs> 
But during that season of my life, alcohol was uh, no longer a part of my life, but I would just drink Diet Coke all the time. And, and then I started reading these articles about how it could affect you and uh, bring about a low-grade depression and heaviness and uh, loss of a short-term memory. Uh, it said some other things, but I don't remember. Uh, but at any rate, at any rate, um, Mindy and I were, it was a few years ago, several years ago, probably five or seven years ago, I don't know, it doesn't matter, but anyway, she, during this particular month, she was going to uh, try to lose some weight and she was going to not eat any dessert for that given month. And uh, I'm, I really don't have a craving for chocolate or dessert or anything like that. Uh, don't be mad at me, I mean, uh, for those of you that do. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, I thought, well, I want to participate. I want to partner with it. I want her to feel supported so that she doesn't feel like she's going through this alone. So what could I give up that, that would be an issue? Because food was, was not an issue, you know what I mean? Uh, but diet pop. I, I knew the Lord was whispering in my ear, how about diet pop? Are you free to, free not to, Steve? Because if you're not free to, free not to, you're not free. I wasn't free. But I said, I'm going to quit drinking it for the next month, and we'll see what happens after that. So we entered into that process. Well, for the few, first few days that I didn't drink diet pop, I thought I was going to die. I mean, I didn't realize how pickled I was in that stuff. <laughs> I mean, I've never had, I've never gone through detoxification for alcohol or drugs, but it must have been something similar because I just felt like I was being detoxed on this diet Coke, the caffeine and the NutraSweet or whatever other stuff is in there. And I tell you, after a few days, it was just like I crashed and I didn't have any strength. I didn't have any uh, strength of body or soul, I just felt wiped out. I felt like I had just crashed, which told me, I think we had a problem there. <laughs> but after I got past those first several days, I thought, I'm not going back. I'm not going back to that again. And um, by the end of the month, it was clear in my mind because of how I felt, the low-grade fever was gone. The depression was gone. I'm not talking about the low-grade fever that I mentioned in the past, that morning dread, you know, but this was just kind of a heaven. And I'm a happy guy. I'll come into a room in an office, and does anybody love Jesus around here? I'll come home. Does anybody love Jesus around here? I'll come into the office. I mean, I'm full of the joy of the Lord, but more than one thing was true. At the same time I had the joy of the Lord, there was this peace on my radar screen of, a, of kind of a heaviness, kind of a depression. So it was a mixed thing. And that was gone by the end of that month. Gone, gone, gone. That was so wonderful, and it hasn't been back since. I really think, for me, not trying to put it on you, it was a factor. In that case, what I was consuming, in excess, no doubt about it, I mean, it was like I... <laughs> Always had, I always had one in my hand. In fact, a friend of mine in um, Arizona sent me one of those uh, <laughs> plastic baseball cap things. I mean, it's, it looks like one that those baseball players wear when they get up to the plate, you know, a hard hat. And there were two 
cup holders <laughs> attached and plastic lines running from. I mean, I had a reputation. I, I was a thirsty guy. So no more. I'm free. I'm free from diet Pepsi and Coke, if you will. Uh, but I'm not, if you drink it today, no condemnation. But I definitely drank it in excess. So side effects from certain medications could contribute as well. So this, I pray, is basics, common sense. And, and I would encourage you, get a physical every year. Make it a non-issue. Um, think about what you're eating. Take better care of yourself. Uh, sometimes it's just that simple. Uh, you might have a, a propensity. Uh, you might have a deficiency. Uh, in, your, in your body chemistry that makes you prone to depression. Don't over-spiritualize that. Don't uh, beat yourself up about that. Don't think that you're unspiritual. If you have to take medication for the rest of your life to help supplement that so that you can be more on an even keel, I'm not talking about masking symptoms. I'm not talking about trusting in medication instead of God. I'm not talking about putting something in the place that God deserves. But if your body needs it, then get a qualified, competent doctor to help you and have that be a part of your life and be willing to take it the rest of your life without condemnation. Because I know how we are as devout followers of Jesus. We're thinking, well, I'm taking this medication now, but I shouldn't have to. I feel guilty that I am. I feel unspiritual that I do. And the day that I'm off of it, I'll be more spiritual. If you need something for your body, you need it for your body. Whether it's glasses, because you need glasses. If you have allergies, if you have other things. Why do we do this with issues of the mind and heart? Why do we do this to ourselves? Because we just put more pressure on ourselves. We just add to the problem. Because we won't have grace from God to put a standard on ourselves that he's not putting on us. But we will have grace for the demands of life as we humble ourselves. Then there's the soul factor. What you think about, think about, what you focus on, what you believe, significant events, significant losses, high stress issues, prolonged conflict. <clears throat> Some people have been, and maybe you are among those, you've been involved in <clears throat> relationship situations, problems and conflicts in a particular way be it in a family, be it at work or whatever, and you just, you're, you, you're such a persevering person. You keep persevering. You don't quit. You keep going. God's getting a lot of mileage out of it. He's using it for your good. He's wanting to mold and shape you into his image. But more than one thing is true. Over a period of time, these things can take our toll. These things can take their toll on us, but probably more than we realize. So it's so important to have some time off once in a while. It's so important to have recreation in our lives, recreation time. It's so important not to be working all the time. It's so important not to be doing projects all the time. It's so important to be working toward a balanced life where you can just be at times and not be a human doing, but be a human being. Once again, these are part of the basics of life, and we need each other to help encourage us in this way. So prolonged sickness, I've already mentioned. <clears throat> and then, of course, the attack of our adversary. We often minimize that one. We often think, 
that, well, if we've got a problem, we're probably the cause of it. We, we, t we tend to, to go there. The more responsible we are as sons and daughters, we, we, we tend to think if there's a problem, it's got to start here, or we're the problem. And, and, and it does need to start here from the standpoint of, of taking personal responsibility. But I believe that taking responsibility includes, okay, what all applies here? I need discernment to see what does apply. Is it a sin issue? Not necessarily. Is, a is it a focus issue? Is it a lifestyle issue? Is it a balance, imbalance of life issue? And, and invite others who know us best and that we trust. I need you being interdependent, not codependent, not overly dependent on others at the exclusion of Jesus. We, our dependency needs to be in him most of all, obviously. But sometimes we need other people's eyes to help us see what's going on. But Lord, give us discernment. Because if it is the enemy, we can take authority. We have authority to take authority. We have authority to tell him to go in Jesus' name. Now, depression can result not at the exclusion of, of, of other things, but these are, these are definitely applicable. Depression can result when we've not resolved our past. Unforgiveness, unresolved um, losses that we have not grieved or resolved. The message of the arrows that we've been going on over these past weeks. And keep in mind, whether it's pride, shame, fear, rejection, anger, or depression, every arrow, every arrow is dipped in the poison of pride. And how does that apply? Because when it comes to pride, it's not thinking too highly of yourself alone. It could be thinking too lowly of yourself. It could be thinking too much of yourself. It could be you're always on your mind. And that's how depression tends to work. We are always on our mind. But with the other arrows, too, we are always on our mind. And think of how it could work. There's an area of your life that you want to change, but it's not changing quickly enough. And you blow it again. And you get down on yourself. You get upset with yourself. You get angry at yourself. Who are you trusting? Ourselves. And you get angry, and you turn it inward, and you can just see trusting ourselves, depending on ourselves, angry at ourselves, as opposed to humility that would say, I'll agree with you, Lord. I can do nothing apart from you. I want to learn. I want to grow. I'm not the answer. I need help. I don't have to prove I can do this at all, apart from you, for sure. I don't have to prove that I can do it alone, that I don't need others. I need you most, but I need to be in life with others. I need to be in relationship with others. We're in it together, so to speak. Not allowing Christ to be our sufficiency in the present. Pursuing happiness versus pursuing relational wholeness and, and making provision for that. Focusing on people and circumstances. Trying to control life is huge. We know this, but we were not made to try to control life. It's too big. It's not our job. Ironically, paradoxically, there are people in mental health institutions today, and I'm not putting them down. I'm just using this for an illustration. There are people in mental health institutions today who are not, I would venture to say most of those men and women and young people are not weak people. A big part of their problem is they're too strong in themselves trying to control the outcome, getting down on themselves, trusting themselves, full of arrows dipped in pride, always on their mind.
but control is a biggie. But we tend to think, the world has told us, you've got to be stronger. You're weak, you've got to be stronger. Oh no, we don't need to be stronger. We're too strong in ourselves. We need to be weak and dependent, not weak in character, not weak in resolve, but not dependent upon ourselves. Because when we're weak, he is strong. And then, of course, another cause of depression could be putting our hope in other than God for our future and basing our identity on where the sum total of our life's experiences or some part thereof, a false identity. Well, let's pause just for a moment before we go into the solution side and think about what applies to you. What aspects of depression can you identify with? Feeling blue all the way to hopelessness? What aspect of the causes do you think might have some application for you or for somebody in your life that you're desiring to help or maybe a situation in the past that no longer applies, but now you maybe have more light on it now? What applies to you? Let's take just a moment and think about that. We've taken a lot of time so far to talk about the discovery side of depression or the identification side of depression, but now let's talk more about the solution side. Obviously, we need to have solutions in context so that we know what we are relating to. But let's go back to the three things that I just mentioned. Depression can result when we have not resolved our past, we're not allowing Christ to be our sufficiency, and we're not putting our hope in God. So on the solution side, first of all, resolving our past. Now that doesn't mean living in our past, but keep in mind that if there are things from your past, whether it's two minutes ago or 20 years ago that are affecting you in the present, those need to be addressed. Those need to be resolved. It's true, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold the new has come. But the old refers to our spiritual condition. And now we have a new spiritual condition. It doesn't refer to just forget the past, you're a new creation in Christ, you don't need to deal with anything in the past, you don't need to forgive anybody, you don't need to resolve any rejection, you don't, need, you don't need to resolve any shame. That's not what it means. Because whatever applies, whatever's true, we need to face it and resolve it. So the ultimate fresh start, if you will, the ultimate peace, the ultimate motivating peace to all of this is repenting and running our life and entrusting our whole life to Jesus Christ and receiving him as our Lord and Savior because unless and until we have fully surrendered our lives to the Lord, our motivator will not be connected to him. He won't be the reason. We will continue to live a life where maybe I'll be the reason because I want to live. I change because I want to live. I change my health habit because I want to live. I change this behavior because I don't want to lose my marriage. I change this behavior so I don't want to lose my job. I do this for somebody else's sake because I want to please them. And all of that is understandable. But when you repent of running your life, you put Jesus first and he is your life, then he becomes the reason. Because in my relationship with Mindy, if I'm upset with her, which doesn't happen often, but once in a while, and it's never her fault, you know, she's, she's wonderful. But anyway, she is not a good enough reason to forgive. If I'm upset with her, I'll, I won't think she is a good enough reason. But if Jesus is the reason, that is my motivation 
connection right there. Because we don't do what we don't value. Oh yes, maybe for a little while we have our New Year's resolutions, we gear up, we try harder, but you will live what you value. All else is talk. You live what you believe, you live what you value. And I stand before you today as one who values intimacy with God, intimacy with Jesus Christ. He is my life. She is the most important people person in my life. Jesus is my life. My relationship with him is at stake in all things. Not out of fear of losing it, but because I so cherish the treasure of right, right relationship with him. And I know if I don't forgive her, my relationship with God will be affected. If I do something that I know is sin, that I know is wrong, I know it'll affect my relationship with God. It, it's my relationship with God that is at stake. That's called walking in humility in the fear of the Lord, where you agree with God and you make him the reason that you do what you do or don't do. So entering into a life of surrendering to him means he's the reason, he's the motivation. So like it says in Luke 13, 3, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I think God has strong thoughts about repenting. Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Not just believe about him, the devil believes about him. Believe into him. Get off the sinking Titanic of running your own life and get into and trust your life to the Jesus boat that will save your soul, save your life, and save you daily. His resurrection life giving you all that you need for life and godliness. And then John 1:12. but to as many as have received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even to them who believe on his name. Now, having done that, that sets the stage because now we're forgiven. And now that we're forgiven, we want to give away what we've received, which includes forgiving others because we know a debt has been paid that we could never pay, a debt of sin, and we're forgiven. Not like the unforgiving servant who went after somebody, a fellow servant, and wanted him to pay that $20 debt. He'd been forgiven millions, and now he's going to go after somebody that owes him 20. Have mercy. But we have been forgiven. We have been forgiven a debt we could never pay, a debt of sin. And we live in the light of that. We live in the glory of that. We live in the gratefulness of that. And then you put that up against any offense committed against you or anything that you find offensive about someone in your path. You forgive them. You cancel the debt. They don't have to do you right. They don't have to do right by you. They don't have to make it right for you because they don't exist for you. He is your life. He's given you everything. He's the reason. He's the motivation. You forgive them. And when you forgive them, you realize they're not free from responsibility. You are free. They aren't free, excuse me, free from responsibility. So forgiveness is a huge part of everything. It's the centerpiece of life. It relates to all of the arrows. But you can see that you hold unforgiveness in. It crystallizes into bitterness. It could turn into hatred, conceivably murder in your heart. You're always on your mind. The grudge is eating a hole in you. There's heaviness. There's anger turned inward. Depression, despair, all kinds of things that are not healthy or pleasing to God or good for relationship with others. As we've said before, processing the issues of the heart is going to be a key tool and means to fully resolve and to forgive. Processing the issues of the heart will also be a key tool 
for resolving losses because we need to pour our hearts out to the Lord <clears throat> in terms of those losses and give thanks for what he wants to do in us in the midst of the loss. Because if we try to hang on and we challenge him, it won't help us. If we challenge his goodness, it won't help us. If we agree with the devil, who as uh, our adversary appeared in the Garden of Eden and tempted Eve, could it be that God has said? And he hasn't changed his tone at all. Challenging. Satan challenging the goodness of God, the character of God. How could God allow that to happen to you? How could God allow your grandma to die? How could God allow your mom to die, your dad to die? How could God allow this divorce? You were willing, you were trying. How could God love you if he allowed it? That's from the pit of hell at the source. And we need to process the issues of our heart, pour our hearts out to God, forgive those that we need to forgive, surrender and submit to the sovereign will of God and let him do what he wants to do in us. The Lord wants to free us from the message of the arrows. Pride. He wants to take this arrow out. And, and probably what characterizes pride more than anything else is that you're always on your mind. Thinking too highly, thinking too lowly, thinking too much, but we are always on our mind. So in pulling this arrow out, as I've just said a few moments ago, we need to agree with God about ourselves and make Jesus the reason. We've been challenged. Others have said unkind things or even terrible or hurtful things about us. And have we bought into those false definitions? Have we agreed with others? Have we unwittingly agreed with our adversary as to who we are, what our true identity is? Have we bought the lie that we're the sum total of our life's experience or some defining part thereof? If we've been abused, that's who we are. If we've been divorced, that's who we are. If we failed at a business, that's who we are. What we've done, what we haven't done, what others have said, what we feel, what we think, add it up, logical conclusion, that's who I am because that's what I feel. And I've got a track record, to, track record to show it. It's so easy to believe into ourselves, which is pride. Agree with God about ourselves, which may mean I need to repent of running my life, that I'm living for myself, I'm selfish, it's me first, I used to be there. Repent. That may mean, that may be what it means. Or it may be, I have repented. I have believed. I am a son. I am no longer a hired hand. Agree. Humble yourself. Agree with God. It doesn't feel true. Nobody else may think it's true that he's always right. What does he say is true? And make him the reason that you do what you do or don't do. And pull this arrow out. Free yourself from the message of the arrows. And then there's shame. As I've just said, that so ties into a false identity connected with pride. Shame. You are not the sum total of your life's experiences or some defining part thereof. You are who God says you are. Do you believe that? Oh, it doesn't feel true. I've got a track record to show that it's not. If you've submitted to his lordship, he's always right. That's why repenting, believing, putting him number one is key to everything because we're going to let him have the last say. We're no longer going to be the lord of our lives. He's going to be the lord of our life. He's always right. Will I believe him? Well, it doesn't feel true. I don't think it's true. Will you believe? What we believe, what we believe 
affects everything. What you think can affect what you feel. What you feel can affect what you do. And what you do can establish a history to give you an occasion to make a false belief about yourself. Even after you've repented and believed, you're still looking at your history instead of embracing his history, his story, dying for us, identifying with us, saving us from ourselves, from Satan, and saving us into his life. Then there's fear. Receive God's perfect love and allow him to take care of you. Well, we talk about love, and you know the word love, unfortunately, has come to mean everything and nothing in the English language. But that's not what God thinks. His love is so committed. The greatest act of love in history is Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. And the more I see my, here's the irony, the more I see my sins present as that applies, as I'm guilty or past, here's the irony, the more aware I am of sin, the more aware I am of his love. Amazing, because where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Isn't that incredible? You must really love me. I could have killed my wife in my fits of anger, my verbal abuse, my emotional abuse, and at times, sometimes physically abusive. What if I would have broken her neck? What if I would have done the unthinkable? I could have. It was only by the mercy of God that I didn't. I was insanely jealous, extremely controlling, always on my mind. And then in college, I was a wild man, seeing how many, how, how many women I could have sex with, getting drunk all the time, waking up the next morning in places, and I didn't even remember how I got there. And there's more, but he loves me. He loves me. He's forgiven me a debt I could never pay. I am convinced. And he wants to convince you. And take the fear out because he wants to convince you. You don't have to take care of yourself. Others have abandoned you. Others have betrayed you. Others have let you down. Others have died on you. You know, that can feel like rejection too. It's like, Dad, why'd you die anyway? Or husband, wife, why'd you die on me? Look at I've got to take care of the kids now. I've got to raise the kids. I've got all this responsibility. I'm mad at you for dying. It feels like rejection. Isn't anybody going to take care of me? Nobody has. Nobody protected me when I was passed around. A person could be saying this, not I, but someone could be saying, I was passed around from orphanage to orphanage, to orphanage as a little kid. Nobody wanted me. I went to school, they ridiculed me, they always picked me last. I got married, I've been divorced four or five times, nobody wants me. I'm convinced. Nobody's ever taken care of me. I'm convinced. Fear? Are you kidding? I'm never going to put myself in that position again. I'm going to be in control. I will not be hurt again. Sound familiar? Anybody you know? He wants to take care of us. That's the love I'm talking about. The love that loved us while we were yet sinners. The love that died for us while we were yet sinners. The love that has rescued us and protected us in more ways than we even know. 
He wants to take care of us. Will you let him? It'll take humility to let him because pride won't let him. Pride says, nobody's going to hurt me again. But God wants you to hit that fear head on and say, Lord, if I need to be hurt again, let me be hurt again. If I need to be betrayed again, let me be betrayed again. Allow what I need to become the son or daughter that you want me to be. That's what I want, Lord. That's what I want. I want you, and I want you to have your way with me. Rejection. Reject rejection and receive your acceptance in Christ. There's only one person in the universe that's acceptable to the Father, and that's Jesus. That's why we desperately need to be in union with Jesus, because he's the only acceptable one. And how do we get in union with him? Repent, believe, receive. His spirit moves in. He makes us a new creation. Oh, yes, we live in this temporary earth suit for a while that has some of its same urges. It has some of its same memories and patterns and belief systems, but that's all part of what's being renewed day by day. And we're in the process of now that we're saved, now that we're sons and daughters, we're getting the arrows out so we can come alive, so we can be free, free. Not just positionally free. But free, free, free. I'm free. I'm free from rejection. I am free from rejection. I'm not even tempted anymore. That's wonderful. If you are, let him get all the mileage out of it he wants to. Let it be a springboard. Let it be an exercise to renew your mind, to get in the word, to believe the truth, to reject the lies. Oh, we despise that, don't we? We don't even want to be tempted. And then we turn on ourselves and we think we're unspiritual that we are when temptation isn't even a sin. It's an opportunity. And sometimes we have more opportunities than we need because if you visit the places of temptation, you'll be inviting. If you visit the places of sin, you will be inviting unnecessary temptation. So I'm not talking about that. <clears throat> and then anger. Fully getting this arrow out. Fully submit to the sovereign will and purposes of God. Oh, that covers it all, doesn't it? <laughs> that covers it all. Because if we'll come to the point where we're willing to let God be God, let him mold us and shape us, break us, realizing you're going to get hurt again, you're going to get wounded again, you will be betrayed again, you will be misunderstood again, you will be sinned against again, you will have more pain in your life. But that's not all. If you'll open, if we'll open our hearts to God, we'll have his comfort We'll have his peace. We'll know him better than we would have ever known him otherwise. We'll know his love. We'll know his provision. We'll know his protection. We'll know his healing because we will have put ourselves in a position to receive. Not try to control the outcome and stay sheltered, shelled, and miserable. And dying on the inside as we're full of arrows. Allow Christ to be sufficient. Make him the goal. For the sake of time, I'm just going to paraphrase. Please look up these verses later. Philippians 3, verse 10 in particular, is Jesus the goal? Do you want to know him? Do you want to know him? I mean, what is your life all about? You want to be happy or you want to know him? You want to be molded and shaped into his image? Or do you want to be happy? Oh, yes, we want to be happy, but the Bible says happy are the people whose God is the Lord. So, okay, you'll be happy. As you've heard me say before, I believe the happiest 
person in all of creation, and he is the self-existent one who wasn't created, but he always was and always is, is God himself. Nobody's happier than him. And nobody's angrier and more miserable than Satan. The more I know that happy one, the happier I will be, though that isn't even my goal. He is my goal. Giving thanks in all things. Groove yourself in that. Groove yourself in that. Delight in every opportunity to give thanks. Put your hope in the future. Immerse yourself in the word of God. Obey all that you know. Let him give you a fresh start every day or 10 or 15 fresh starts throughout the day. And don't beat yourself up if you need 100 a day. Identify with his life. Practice his presence. And may it be that he is always on your mind. And I want to refer to a book that I'd recommend that you would read as I close today. It's called Practicing His Presence. It's by Frank Laubach and Brother Lawrence. Let me, read some, let me read some excerpts from this, and then we'll close. Practicing His Presence. Rather than always being on your mind, have Jesus always on your mind, filling every minute full of the thought of God. My part is to live this hour in continuous inner conversation with God. Can I bring the Lord back in my mind flow every few seconds so that God shall always be on my mind, making him the object of my thoughts and the companion of my conversations? Lord, what do you think of this? Lord, what do you think of that? But we talk to ourselves so often. We're talking to the devil more than we realize. This concentration on God is strenuous, but everything else ceases to be so when he is always on our mind. This is the best way to act, talk a great deal to the Lord. I must learn a continuous, silent conversation of heart, heart to heart, speaking with God while looking into other people's eyes and listening to them. Lord, what do you think of what David is saying? Isn't David wonderful? Isn't he a wonderful son? So as I'm listening to David, I'm talking to the Lord about David. No practice we've ever found has held the mind as much as this, making all thought a conversation with the Lord. Our only business is to love and delight ourselves in the Lord. Every minute can be a fresh start, a fresh new beginning. The antidote for the arrow of depression, put your hope in God. Not somebody else, not yourself, not a person, place, or thing. Put your hope in God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. I pray that everyone, everyone will participate, Lord, as we've been going through this series of the message of the arrows that will pull these arrows out today, and we will put our hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.